Well, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. If you bought a Bible along with you, which we always encourage you to do, you'll want to be open to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Also, if you, if you want to pull out the program notes of the sermon outline, you'll notice the title is Awake and Alive. One of the things that I love, actually, about vacation the opportunity to read. I, I usually always can carve out some time, whether we're planning a very active vacation, uh, which we were this last time in Colorado, hiking and doing kinds of things like that, to just read. And one of the things that I love to read about is what people think is coming in the future. I'm somewhat of an amateur futurist. I think that goes along with my personality. One of my personality quirks that some of you have encountered is that I'm strategic. I like to think ahead and, and make my moves. I love chess, for example, as a game. It's so much fun to, to plan and strategize. This last vacation, I was reading a, a book by a gentleman named Peter Zion. And I'll, I'll quote from that book several times. And that's because he is a pretty well-known geopoliticist and, and futurist. But then I got to thinking to myself, isn't that really what we're doing right here on Sunday mornings? We're all futurists, in a sense, when we study the book of Revelation together. Because in the book of Revelation, God himself is telling John what to expect to be coming. And in these letters to the churches, he's specifically telling each church this morning, Sardis and Philadelphia, how to prepare based on past actions, what's going on in the, in the present, in the world around them, how to prepare for tomorrow and beyond. And the beauty of that is that as we read through these seven churches, today's two included, we learn that our history is impacting us, that our present world is having its effects on us as Christians, and what to do about it starting this afternoon and on into the future until one day we will be in heaven together. And so I love this book because it's a book for futurists like me and like you. I think you're probably kind of interested in what's coming. And that's what we're going to see. And, and, the, and the warning to us today is don't fall asleep. Be awake. Don't go dead as if someone pulled the plug on you. Be alive. Because there is too much that is important, vital, and critical that's coming down the pike starting right here, right now, in fact, it's already started, that will impact your eternal future. And so that's the encouragement for us today, and I want to talk about three things. The, the, the three things that I found in this text is that God, through John, is telling us, be awake and alive to the problems that we're going to face. We will carry a cross, as we just heard in this world. Don't face your problems in security, in complacency. Secondly, be awake and alive to the prospects. 
with every problem, there's an opportunity. What are our prospects as we begin to face the problems that we're going to face? What, what are our hopes and dreams and our purpose as we face these problems in life? And then finally, most importantly, as you go through life, you are going to pick up that cross. You're going to encounter problems. Never lose sight. Be awake and alive to the promises that God gives to you to help you, strengthen you, encourage you, and strengthen you going through life. So be awake and alive to the problems, to the prospects, and to the promises of God. That's what we'll be going through this morning. Let's start by reading Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, the letters to the church in Sardis and to the church in Philadelphia. This is a rather long section, 13 verses, so we'll put the verses up on the screen for you so you can follow along. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God, meaning the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit of God, and the seven stars, those are the pastors. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Look how many times in this section God directs us back to his word. That's because the word is what wakens and enlivens us. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. And then we hear this same verse twice, and we've heard it in all the the letters to the churches. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, right? Let him hear this word. Now to the next letter, to the church in Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. 
I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So first of all, let's talk about being awake and alive to the problems. That's, that's one of the very first things that, that uh, John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through this vision, is writing to the people of Sardis and Philadelphia. How many, how many miles would you estimate of train track is there in the Chicagoland metro area? How many miles? Now, you're going to expect me to tell you how many miles, but I have no idea. I just know it's a lot. There's a lot of train track here. And this morning, I happened to be talking to David, who's back there running stuff for us. And I learned that he grew up the son of someone who worked for the railroads, his dad. And I also learned that his dad gave him some strict warnings based on his experience, apparently back in the day, maybe now, I don't know, about one injury a week happened from someone parking their car on the train track or, or trying to run across the train track at the wrong time. I don't know if the statistics are still the same, but David's dad was terrified that he would somehow get injured crossing train tracks. So he gave him two warnings. One is, those trains are heavy, and they do not stop quickly. And number two, you might notice, David, little David, <laughs> that that train is on a track, so it can't, anyone want to guess? It can't turn to avoid you. <laughs> right? And so, David always got those warnings. Well, I don't think then that David would have ever been encouraged to do something like we see in this photo. I don't think any of us are encouraged to do that. To take our recliner, perch it, purchase it, uh, perch it in the middle of uh, a train track and just relax. Take it easy. Put your feet up in the middle of a train track. And do you know what John is being told by the Holy Spirit to tell the people of Sardis and Philadelphia? Hey, guys. <laughs> in effect, he's telling these two congregations of people, don't put your easy chair there. That's a train track. And what is the train track he's talking about? Life in this world. All of life in this world is a virtual train track, so don't get too comfortable. Life is going to bring a cross. Life is going to bring problems. Life is especially going to bring spiritual attack if you are a believer. Let me say that again. Life is especially, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, going to bring spiritual attack. You know, don't you, that there are people who hate your guts. The devil. 
the fallen world, the sinful world who don't follow Jesus, and within you, your own sinful flesh, all of them want to destroy you and me. So don't get too comfortable, be awake and alive to the problems that we're going to face in these attacks from the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. C.S. Lewis said this many, many years ago in a book that he wrote to kind of mimic the Pilgrim's Progress. He called his book The Pilgrim's Regress, meaning this is how a pilgrim goes backward. And by pilgrim, he means Christ follower. How do you go backward in your faith? How do you destroy what God has given you in the gift of faith? Well, C.S. Lewis says, you all know, said the guide, a character in this book, that security is mortals, that's you and me, greatest enemy. Let's take a look. Let's go back to, to Revelation and we'll take a look at verses 2 and 3 in this chapter 3. And, and, and listen once again to what John writes to the church in Sardis. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. I don't know about you, but when I hear those words, when I read those words, I can think of so many unfinished deeds in my own life, where I have not taken things all the way for the Lord, where maybe I can say I'm in, but what John is talking about is, are you into being in? Is it important to you? Are you passionate about being in with the Lord? Are you into being in, not just are you in? This is what he's saying. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Do you have things that you could take a little further with the Lord? Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast. Grip it hard. And repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Many times Jesus says this, doesn't, doesn't he? I, I don't know the day or hour Jesus himself said, but only my Father in heaven. We don't know when Jesus is coming. Could be in the middle of this service, could be this afternoon, could be tomorrow. All of this is actually written in the book of Revelation to keep us awake and alive to the possibility that Judgment Day is coming at any moment. And therefore, be prepared. And this is not a message unique to Revelation. I've said it several times during this series. Revelation simply repeats, in, in maybe more graphic and picturesque terms, what's said throughout the Bible Take a look at what Paul himself wrote to his young protege, Timothy, fellow pastor, young pastor. Paul writes, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Guard it. Keep it. When you go into a hotel with your passport and your credit cards and your money, and maybe a few other precious items that you have. Do you just 
leave them strewn out on the desk or do you put them in the safe and lock it with the code? I don't know about you, but Julie and I, we use the safe because we don't want to come back and find our passport gone or our money gone or our credit cards gone or some item that we, that we appreciate gone. We put it in the safe. That's what, that's what we're being told here. Put your faith in the safe. And how do you do that? It said it twice, right? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's how you put your faith in the safe. By coming back to this regularly, daily, weekly in church, in growth group, in Bible study. That's how you do it. Because God is calling you, and here's what I want you to write down. He's calling me to be vigilant to preserve and protect the great gifts you've been given. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter. <laughs> How many hours do we spend on social media? How many hours do we spend in front of our computer or in front of the television set? And it's chatter. That's all it is. And then we tell ourselves, but I don't have time for reading God's word. Paul's very blunt with Timothy. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Instead, be vigilant to preserve and protect the great gifts that we've been given. So, that's being awake and alive to the problems we are going to face. But then in verses 7 to 10, we read this. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that's going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. What's going on here? Let me, let me do a little comparison between Philadelphia and Sardis. You know when you interpret God's word, first and foremost, it, it's easy just to take it and say, what does this mean to me? But there's a first step when you interpret the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, and that is, what, what did these words mean to the original people, to the people of Sardis and Philadelphia? So let me share with you a little bit of Sardis and Philadelphia's situation. Sardis was a wealthy city in a very important position. On the, on the outward side of things, most people believe that when John was writing this to the church in Sardis, he was writing to a very prosperous people, people that were living their daily lives in peace. 
Philadelphia, on the other hand, was not a wealthy city. It was a, a city on the frontier of the Roman Empire and was there to be a guard post for the Roman Empire. It was isolated. It was not prosperous. There were a lot of poor people living there. They had to make do many times because they didn't have access to all the goods and services that people, for example, in Sardis would have had. And yet, when you compare the two letters, in their prosperity, the people of Sardis were the ones that God most warns about falling asleep. And the people of Philadelphia, he says to them, look, I know you don't have much strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So I placed before you, he says, an open door. And by that, he means you're perfectly positioned in terms of the strength of your faith, your willingness to guard and protect it, and being on the frontier to reach out to all these people who don't yet know Christ. That's your open door. And I, I placed you in this position so that you can walk through that open door and, and share the gospel with them. And he positioned them there not only in terms of geographically or their, their economic situations, but around them were a lot of people in tension. You've heard me talk about the three T's. What does an open door for the gospel look like? There were a lot of people around them who were going through tension, transition, and trouble. The three T's. That's your open door. You want to know what an open door for the gospel looks like? Your neighbors who are experiencing tension, transition, or trouble are the open doors for the gospel. I want you to never lose sight of those three T's because they are still applicable to us as they were applicable to the people of Sardis and Philadelphia. Now, remember I said I read a book on vacation. I'm still reading it, actually. This book by Peter Zion. He's a, he's a futurist. Uh, he's written four or five books. This happens to be his most recent. The End of the World is Just the Beginning is the title of it. So that'll give you a little suggestion of where we're going with this. But this guy has done a lot of study about what should we expect. That being said, you know what he is? A human being. So are his words gospel truth? We don't know. This is just a very highly educated person making a guess about what's coming. So please take it a little bit with a grain of salt. We don't know. However, since he just published this book in June of 2022, I thought it would be interesting to share as a possibility what this guy thinks about what may be coming. And it may shake you a little bit, just to warn you. Okay? So put that quote of Peter Zion up. During the past seven decades, as a percent of the population, fewer people have died in fewer wars and fewer occupations and fewer famines and fewer disease outbreaks than since the dawn of recorded history. Starts out pretty good, doesn't it? Love that. Historically speaking, we live in an embarrassment of riches and peace. All of these evolutions and more are tightly interwoven, inseparable. But there is a simple fact that is often overlooked. 
So seven decades, that would be since roughly World War II. Okay, what's overlooked? All these facts are artificial. We have been living in a perfect moment, and it is passing. The world of the past few decades has been the best it will ever be in our lifetime. Instead of cheap and better and faster, we're rapidly transitioning into a world that's pricier and worse and slower because the world, our world, is breaking apart. Now, I don't know if you agree with Peter Zion. I'm not asking you to agree with Peter Zion. I'm simply asking you to reflect on the possibilities that the world might be changing. That instead of $5 gas going down to $3 in the near future, it may stay at five and go up to six, seven, and eight. That Instead of being a very united states, we might become a balkanized, separate United States. Still the United States, but very different from what most of us have experienced throughout our lifetime, where you have states who have certain ways of life and outlook, and other states that have the 180-degree outlook on life that you may be thinking, I'm moving to X state because I've got to get out of Y state because Y state no longer agrees with my beliefs. No one would have thought of doing that 10 years ago. But now, a lot of people are already doing it. And, and trade, world trade, is it possible that instead of getting world trade back up and running after the COVID pandemic and supply, that one day we will go back to saying, we're going to produce everything right here in the United States that we need so that we don't need those other countries and their trade, so that we can be secure in our own supply, able to meet our own demand. Can you imagine the difference in that kind of world. And what Zion is saying is that's not going to make us richer and faster. It's going to make things take longer. And most of us will end up being poorer because of it. I know that's a little depressing. But is it possible? That's the only question I want to ask you is, could you consider, because... What happens when we fall asleep in our easy chair on the train tracks is very simple. We don't see a train coming. And so what do we do? We're like, I'm comfortable. My easy chair is fine. There's no train coming. I hear no whistle blowing. Let me take a nap until it comes. That's how most of us are. We don't react or think or pray or cling to God and His promises as long as we feel, feel safe and secure, whether or not we really are safe and secure. And what, what John is saying to these churches is, you've fallen into the trap of putting your easy chair on the tracks. Get awake. 
pull the easy chair off and realize stuff can happen. Not only because it can hurt you, but in this section, second section to the people of Philadelphia, you know what he's saying? Pull your easy chair off the tracks and get up, be awake and alive, not just to protect yourself, but because there's opportunity. There's an open door. Because whatever you're going through as a Christ follower, so is your neighbor. So is your neighbor. Whom, by the command of Jesus, you love. And who needs you. Who needs your perspective about God's love for them. Who needs your perspective about the forgiveness of sins and the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives. Otherwise, guess what people who are going to do if what Peter is on, you, it's already happening. You know we have a huge epidemic of chemical dependency that is only growing. People are self-medicating. You know why? Starting with the pandemic and before, they can't take it. It's too heavy. It feels too much. It's overwhelming them. Tension, remember the three T's. Transition, big transition according to Peter Zion. Trouble. Those are open doors for the gospel. And to the people of Philadelphia and to us, God is saying, walk through. Take the gospel. Take Jesus Christ. Take the cross. Take the empty tomb. Take forgiveness of sins and God's righteousness and make them gifts to the people who are around you, who are, in effect, an open door. Isn't it beautiful to be part of amazing love? It really is. When I say that vacation is great, but being home is far better, I really mean it because I love being around a group of people who, in essence, from the beginning, have said, we've got open doors around us got open doors in Frankfurt and Mokina and New Lenox. Even, even out east, I guess there are open doors, right? Yeah, Dan confirms it. Even in Joliet, there might be open doors further west. Maybe in the entire Chicago metro area, with all that train track, there are open doors for the gospel. And you know what? If you don't know this, by signing up to be a member of Amazing Love, you've signed up to say, we want to reach the lost with the love of Christ because we see the open doors. And I, I, I can't stand up here without saying thank you. Without saying thank you for being part of a church where by becoming a member, you are signing up to see open doors. God would love that just as he loved it in the church of Philadelphia. So, point to right, awake and alive to the prospects, God places open doors before us which allow us to usher others to his truth and grace. God places open doors before us which allow us to usher others to his truth and grace. And again, nothing new, right? Nothing new. Acts 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of Chicago and beyond. Okay? So last thing to be awake and alive about is God's promises. Let's look at verse 5. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. In other words, you're going to get God's holiness. God's going to put his garment of holiness on you. You aren't holy by yourself. You can't be holy by yourself. The gospel is we can't do it, but God has already done it. He will give us his perfection. I will never blot, uh, I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. What a promise! but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. And then, and then same thing to Philadelphia, verses 11 and 12. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, promise, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Philadelphia was known for earthquakes, as, as an area. And so God is saying, you're going to be an unshakable pillar in eternity. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Beautiful promises for you, and you're meant to have them to say, God's with me. God loves me. I, I love that. So, let's go back to Peter Zion. Why do you need those promises? All that stuff that Peter Zion talked about, when's that going to happen? Well, at least according to him, it's not far off. The 2020s will see a collapse of consumption and production and investment and trade almost everywhere. What year are we in? 2022. In other words, Peter Zion is saying, this is coming now. Globalization will shatter into pieces, some regional, some national, some smaller. It will be costly. It will make life slower and above all, worse. No economic system yet imagined can function in the sort of future we face. This devolution will be jarring, to say the least. Now, once again, this guy's not writing Scripture. I don't know if he's predicted accurately. All I'm trying to say is, if we've had 70 years of time that is extraordinarily safe and prosperous in this world, should we not, in terms of the nature of our world, realize that if things have cycled up for a long while, that maybe there's going to come a time when they cycle back down again? Isn't that the history of the world that we all know? Things go up, what goes up must come down, and then it'll go up again. What is going to get us through the downtime when and if it comes. What's going to get you through the downtime, through the struggle? I hope it's, there's no other answer for you than the promises of God. 
the, the promises that he loves me, that he's with me, that he's given me a crown that no one can take away, that at the end of all of this life, no matter how hard it is, how much of a struggle it is, I have a perfect life in a new physical realm called heaven, the new heavens and the new earth, and that that is guaranteed to me because of Jesus Christ. I urge you, as as John is urging these congregations, and we've been urged over and over during this series, if you have ears, hear these promises. Believe them, trust them, know they are real for you. In the good times, they're real for you. In the bad times, they're real for you. God made these promises happen through his son, Jesus, his one and only son, through the cross and the empty tomb. And just as these promises are given to Sardis and to Philadelphia, they're given to amazing love, to all its members. So my encouragement is this. I know you have little strength. You, you may be saying, I don't have the strength for this. If what Zion says is true, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. I don't know how I'm going to weather that storm. Remember what he says. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word. You've clung to those promises. You have not denied my name. Don't let hard times and cross-bearing shake your faith. I am coming soon, God promises. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Here's your final fill-in. Those who remain awake and alive by clinging to God's word, God promises, will live in glory and power forever. So that's your next step, really. Very simple. What do you do when you leave here today? What's your next step Make a plan. How are you going to be in God's word? What do you have to sacrifice? What do you have to give up? How do you make the time so that every day you can be in God's word and be touched by his promises sent you by the Spirit, whoever has ears? Just reach up right now. Touch your ear. Whoever has ears. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you have given us ears to hear, and not just physical ears to hear, but you have placed in us your Holy Spirit so that our hearts, the, the ears of our hearts and the eyes of our hearts have the ability to see and hear your gospel message. Without that, we could not hear it. Lord, I pray that you will strengthen everybody in this church to hear your promises, memorize them, have them at, at, at fingertips reach at all times so that they will find encouragement and strength no matter what the future be, brings. Lord, we pray that you will watch over and protect all our members and that you will guide us to Jesus, to his cross and his empty tomb daily. We are not victims, Lord, because of Jesus. We are victors, and help us remember that always. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's join in confessing our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. 
We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.